0: This show is part of the retrozap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Wrap it
1: up, Hello? And welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent.
2: And I'm your guest host, Abby Gleason.
1: And today we are going to be talking deleted scenes and the politics of Star Wars. Um, This is going to be a fun one, y'all. So we're going to be looking at uh, some scenes that did not make it into the Star Wars saga uh, that fell by the wayside and that also contained some rich political undertones that we find to be valuable to the franchise or the movie as a whole. Um, This will be a really fun one. We're going to talk op-eds and we're also going to be joined later on in the show by Brittany Hunter of Fee, and also a team member here at Beltway Banthas. Um, But Abby, welcome. Mm -hmm. It's really nice to have you, and thank you for filling in for Suara, the vacationer.
2: (laughs) How dare he enjoy his time?
1: (laughs) He is not allowed to do that. And he's in a beautiful place. He went out to Washington and Portland, and now he's in LA seeing other fans of Star Wars. Oh my gosh, he can't do this. I thought the summer was over.
2: Right excuse just, you it is time to be on our game
1: <laughs> yeah time to get back to work Suara we just came back from summer break for Beltway Panthers, and then you just go away Ugh, <laughs> how nerd. dare
2: you self-care
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes he is he is on top of his self-care game and mm-hmm. Suara miss you already my friend uh, but Abby it's really nice to have you how's your summer been
2: oh, it's been great pretty low-key summer gearing up to go back into my uh Final year of grad school, so yeah, it's been
1: Yay. good. Almost yeah. there, home stretch, home stretch. I know. I know that feels good.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
1: <laughs> this is going to be my horrible segue in in things that do not feel good. Uh, <laughs> the country is falling down around us. the The upper rings of power are completely collapsing, and we might end up uh, with no president <laughs> because, <laughs> because because reasons. Um, so we've got. Uh, just a crazy news cycle we wanted to touch on before we get to the Star Wars, which I assure you there's plenty of. Um, but, Abby, are you watching this stuff closely? Like, we had the the personal lawyer, former personal lawyer for the president, and his former campaign chairman both become felons within the span of four hours yesterday. Uh, and now it just seems like this is getting really, really hot. I think we're probably about six months away from having President Pence.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It, it's been pretty wild, just because... <laughs> it was just seemed like a normal day on Twitter. Twitter's is where I tend to get like a good majority of my news. And then all of a sudden you just kind of refresh your feed. And it, it was like the world was ending. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm a little unlike Suara in that I'm very, I'm pretty jaded and cynical and mm, yeah. I don't know. I, I see this all happening and like, I, I can, I can look at it for what it is and be like, this is terrible and this should be bad news bears for Trump. But a, there's just this part of me that is like, I don't know what it's going to take to be able to get that takedown because Mm -hmm. people will justify this in any way, shape or form. And that's been going on for the longest time is finding different reasons for why these things that are happening to Trump, around Trump, whatever, are perfectly okay. And so part of me is just like, I don't know if anything's actually going to come of this.
1: Truth is not truth. Crimes are not crimes. That is, uh, that is sort of the postmodern take on the Trump (laughs) presidency. No. And, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit in my, on my bantha fodder, um, you know, Mm -hmm. later, later on the show, it just, it just really does seem like nothing will quite do it. Um, I will say to the jaded point. So yeah, I think in a normal environment, uh, this leads to the impeachment or the resignation um, of a president. I think it's always mm-hmm. worth remembering that Richard Nixon uh, resigned. You know, he was not run right. out of office necessarily by force of law. He he kind of bowed out. Right. <laughs> he right. bowed out. Yes. And, and I think a normal politician would bow out as well mm-hmm. um, at this point, but we're not going to get that. We're going to get a doubling down and sort of a hardening of the base. But I, I do think that the one thing that makes me just Mm, I like think this isn't going to go anywhere is just looking back at John Edwards case, where it's pretty, pretty analogous to what's going on with Trump, where you have like a hush money situation um, going on with a mistress at the very, very end of a election cycle, you know, just days before voting. And John Edwards, when he was running in the Democratic primary, was able to basically spin this in court and say, the hush money I paid using campaign dollars was to spare my wife the pain of the affair, not to impact the course of the election. And he managed to go off not guilty. And if you look at that, instead of like thinking this is like a Richard Nixon situation, then mm-hmm. it's the, then it spells that's the get out of free car, a jail free card for Trump in this situation. So he just has to say, we were just trying to spare Melania the heartache. It wasn't oh, about God. trying to beat crooked Hillary. And then it's, <laughs> then it's just over. And because we've seen this case before.
2: Right. You know? I think that's where I'm, I'm getting those kind of, jaded cynical feels from it's just like i just no one's gonna do anything there's gonna be a way that he gets out of this somehow and it's frustrating
1: yeah i i I would um i would be lying if i said i think the system is not set up um to protect the powerful um Mm -hmm. and yeah and so i i think with that it might just be best to move on to, to Star Wars Resistance. Um, this is a pretty challenging time in politics, um, and it's it's probably just worth touching on this stuff. But in good news, you have Star Wars Resistance. Uh, the trailer has debuted. I watched it when I was out on an afternoon run. I was listening to some music on my phone, and then I got a little ding, and someone sent me, and I was like, oh my god, it's it's online, it's on YouTube. And so I stopped, and then I sat under a shaded tree and pulled up the trailer on my phone uh it was great what did you think
2: i really liked it i am so stoked for the show it just looks fun and light-hearted and goofy and silly and i'm really digging the 2d animation style i'm always a mm-hmm. fan of 2d and especially when we've kind of been getting this 3d cgi kind of animation out of lucasfilm for since 2008 it's kind of refreshing to get a different take on animation
1: yeah. Um, Are you in the camp that also thinks that 3D animation is cringey? Because I think it's cringy.
2: Um, not necessarily. It depends. I think there's times when it can be and then times where it's done impeccably well. Mm hmm. Um, but I think it really depends on the project.
1: Yeah, I think whenever I think of what I don't like about three D animation, it's it's action sequences and rebels where you have some okay. of the, the folks from the Ghost Crew like running from an explosion or or laser beams or you know like stormtroopers mm-hmm. are shooting at them and it looks like they're running underwater, like they're taking like these long <laughs> strides and it's so slow and the laser bolts from the blasters of the stormtroopers are just sort of like flying by at a pace where you could like pluck them off the screen with your finger. And I'm just like, oh, is this the best we can do? Everything. It just looks like a 90s video game.
2: That's a good way to put it. Nineties mm, video game. Yeah,
1: but even oh my gosh, that's that's like the time warp we live in where I'm thinking that that is a nineties video game. Like nineties would nineties right. <laughs> would be stick figures. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. but no, I'm I'm totally into the animation style. Um, on story, I, I guess what, I don't think we learned anything particularly new. Um, no, no, it's just it's just a band of rebels or band of resistance yeah, fighters. Yeah,
2: I, I think the the main character Kazuda, I believe that's his name um is was recruited to the resistance as a pilot and it seems like he's going to be doing some like spy missions hmm. which that's really That'll interesting cool. yeah um but it just it seems kind of like a band of pilots um on this random resistance aircraft on a water planet and that's as far as we really know and we got
1: some Podammer in action that's good. Oh, that's yeah, we good. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Is it actually voiced by Oscar Isaac, or or is it someone else? It is. Else? Okay, that's good. It great.
2: is, and then Captain Phasma is also voiced by Gwendolyn Christie, oh, great. so that'll be really cool.
1: I wonder if we'll get Kylo Ren in this series. I bet not. No, I bet they'll probably steer clear of the Force users on this one.
2: I kind of hope they do.
1: Yeah. To be
2: honest, I've been kind of looking for something that's just about the, kind of like the everyman. Yeah. Um, and not quite so much the super special people and we
1: are in the age of the populist Star Wars so uh, I think (laughs) I think that that might be called for Um, well if it's all right with you let's turn to our our first segment of the show um we're going to be talking a little bit about a, a pretty fiery op-ed that came out in the New York times just the other day, as we were sort of preparing for what beltway banth is going to be about this week. And I think it deserves to be talked about, uh, since we've had such a focus on toxic fan culture and sort of the divide in star Wars fandom that has taken place, um, since, well, since forever, but particularly since the debut of the last Jedi, um, Kelly Marie Tran disappeared from Instagram, social media broadly, after a pretty brutal harassment campaign uh, for her involvement in The Last Jedi performance, involvement, whatever. Like, it it was just sort of a whole suite of things. And, Abby, I know you have strong feels about that as well. Um, (laughs) Yes, I do. Kelly struck back this week in a searing op-ed in the New York Times about fan culture and the marginalizing effect of online harassment. And it basically conquers all of it in 1,200 words. And if I could just read an excerpt uh, before we dive in, uh, she says, I had been brainwashed into believing that my existence was limited to the boundaries of another person's approval. I had been tricked into believing, uh, into thinking that my body was not my own, that I was beautiful only if someone else believed it, regardless of my own opinion. I had been told and retold this by everyone, by the media, by Hollywood, by companies that profited from my insecurities, manipulating me so that I would buy their clothes, their makeup, their shoes, in order to fill a void that was perpetuated by them in the first place. I have been lied to, we all have. Um, We've been deceived by a lie, we we all were. I want to I want to give you kind of first shot at this. Um, what was your thoughts on this op ed?
2: I thought it was unbelievably gorgeous and, and incredibly brave of her to be able to do after the months and months and months of harassment she faced, uh, particularly over Instagram because that was the most the easiest uh, way for people to get right at her. Um, and so to be able to come back and basically say like. You know, yes, it, it hurts. And it wasn't necessarily the words they were saying, but the fact that I was starting to believe them Mm. and to end it so beautifully and powerfully to basically say, screw you, (laughs) all of your campaigning and trying to get me to hate myself, to not want to be an actress anymore, whatever you were trying to do, it didn't work because I believe in myself. I love myself and I'm just getting started. And I just, I'm, I was in tears reading it. It was such a beautiful article and I'm really glad she did it.
1: Yeah. Well, she really came out strong and I think what was uh, the most powerful moment was when she uh, reclaimed her name Um, Mm -hmm. at the end. I I guess this is something that you would have assumed, but I guess I never really thought about it. Kelly Marie is not her real name. Um, Her name is Loanne. Uh, And at the end of the op-ed, um, she makes that clear that her name is Loanne and you know this is who she's going to be from now on. I, I kind of wonder if that means that she's going to actually start performing under this name um, mm. going forward. I, I think that that seems to be what it is. Um, like an official declaration of a professional rebrand and saying that she is the first um, Asian you know actor leading a Star Wars movie uh, you know on the cover of Vanity Fair, Asian Woman on the cover of Vanity Fair. Um, and this is who she's going to be, and she's not going to be Kelly Marie Tran for your amusement, um, or you know, to feel like she has to do that to fit in. Um, I think she's probably going to start billing herself this way. Do you kind of get that impression as well?
2: I, I hope so. I understand if she continues to professionally go by Kelly Marie. I mean, that's that's what she kind of built herself on. Yeah, so it'd be understandable if she did. But there, something about thinking of seeing uh, Lawan Tran in blue letters at the end of episode nine is just warming my heart. (laughs) Um, I I really hope that we get something like that, a nod to what she has declared her real name. I think that would be beautiful.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I just love people taking something incredibly positive from something incredibly negative. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just a complete rediscovery of yourself in sort of the darkest place, um, and the internet and the response of star Wars fans to anything that you might do is a pretty dark place. Um, what I sort of took away in the, in the heart of this now, one, it was, it was very front loaded and back loaded, um, on, on race and talking about, you know, whiteness, um, sort of Western expectations, Um, Of folks with uh, other backgrounds and ethnicities and and names that don't quite fit into the culture or, you know, Hollywood or entertainment. Um, And in the middle, she really digs in on this sort of consumerism vibe um, that there's just sort of this monetized system set up to make you hate yourself and then buy products to make you then feel better about yourself. And that was the portion of of the op-ed that I felt like was incredibly universal and you know whatever you may think of what's on the front and the back like this is a a feeling that so many people feel um, a, a society a culture that is just sort of built around making you feel shame and then buying somebody's product to make you feel better but they're the one who made you feel bad in the first place
2: <laughs> mm, yeah I, I think I think one of my biggest takeaways from this is just How much I saw it resonate with so many people, Asian-American people particularly, that was really incredible for me as a friend of a lot of these people, as a girlfriend. Um, I sent this to my boyfriend. He's Filipino-American, and he sent me this beautiful text of how he relates to a lot of what she said, and I will never understand that. I will never understand what it feels like wishing that you weren't part of your culture or feeling like yeah. you were denied being able to experience your culture, but uh, seeing other people being like, I see this in myself, I relate to this so much. And, you know, I'm so glad that she talked about it, it was really, really cool. And I'm I'm glad that Kelly Marie Tran or Luan Tran was able to provide maybe a voice for people who didn't know how to voice what they were feeling about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think you, you hit exactly the right note. Like, we'll just, we'll just never know. We'll just never know what that feels like. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, she mentions the name of her, her real parents um, or her parents, you know, they went by American names and abandoned their real names uh, and took on Tony and K so that Mm -hmm. it was easier to pronounce. And she mentions that it makes her ache to the core. Um, that they literally had to erase their names to fit into um, this culture, and mm-hmm. you know I really believe that we are headed towards an America um, where that is going to be less and less important for you to you know wipe out your name or make some sort of western mm-hmm. hollow sounding name like despite some of the the washington based rollbacks that we have um, every couple of years with political moods. Um, The culture and general vibe of this country is moving so far so fast where I just don't see um, a future where two people are going to have to come here um, from Korea. She's Korean, correct?
2: She's Vietnamese. Vietnamese,
1: excuse me. Mm -hmm. It's in the op-ed somewhere. um, Mm -hmm. And have to change their names to Tony and Kay. I I just don't see it. Um, But it was really powerful to see laid out. Um, So... You know, I guess we're going to be welcoming uh, Loan uh, to Loan, excuse me, to Star Wars uh, here next year for Episode 9. i am I'm looking forward to that. I think that brings us to deleted scenes and politics lost in Star Wars. So today we are going to be talking for a little while about two deleted scenes in the Star Wars saga that deserve some attention. They were deleted. They were snuffed out in their prime and full of glorious politics that are ripe for discussion. So to do that, I'm going to introduce now uh, Brittany Hunter onto the show and we're going to just uh, have a, a fully rounded out conversation. Brittany, welcome back to Beltway Banthas.
3: Hi, thanks for having me back. Can you hear me?
1: Yep, sure can. Welcome. Perfect. Well, Brittany, wanted to bring you on. Uh, one, because you are one of our rotating hosts here uh, at Beltway Banthas that we introduced last year before going uh, on summer break. I guess that was this year. Uh, but you are also the editor over at Fee, the foundation. For economic education, uh, it's a libertarian uh, 501c3, kind of based around Austrian economics. I have the I have the, the tax status code correct, right?
3: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <If> 501c3, <laughs> sure. You
1: need, need to know these things, Brittany. <laughs> I do
3: need to know these things. Probably It's <laughs>
1: <laughs> very important, or you could end up like Michael Cohen. <laughs> um, but we're going to be discussing a piece to start off uh, that ran in fee, and so I thought it was only sensible that you be part of the conversation. Uh, um, for this little review. So there is a deleted scene. Uh, it is Star Wars, A New Hope. It's crucial. Uh, and it really shades the nature of the Empire's economy. Um, I'm going to play that audio now for listeners.
0: But we've got almost enough evaporators to make the place pay off. I have to stay one more season. I can't leave him now. What good's all your uncle's work if the Empire takes it over? You know, they've already started to nationalize commerce in the central systems. It won't be long before your uncle's just a tenant slaving for the greater glory of the empire no that's not gonna happen here you said yourself the empire won't even mess with this old rock things can change i wish i was going are you gonna be around long no leaving in the morning hmm. i guess i won't see you maybe someday i'll keep a lookout
3: i love the cape Okay, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he has a cape and his mustache. He has beautiful. a friggin'
1: cape. He's the bourgeoisie of Tatooine. <laughs> okay. All right. So I would have dated gonna, him so hard. Oh my god.
3: Of course <laughs> I, you would, Brittany.
1: He's not he's not a Bitcoin millionaire.
3: <laughs> yet.
1: <laughs> not yet. He's a moist moisture millionaire. <laughs> moisture. <laughs> moisture farmer. He's so oh, I hate it. So moisture. Um Okay, so let me... Uh, going to taking make-
3: things too far, Kent. <laughs>
1: I, didn't, I didn't mean <laughs> to. Um, this scene got on my radar, well, it got on my radar a couple years ago, but really most recently uh, because of a piece in Fee by a writer by the name of Grayson Quay, and he wrote how one deleted scene turned Star Wars into a struggle against socialism. This scene in which Biggs urges Luke to fight to defend the free market did not make it into the final Film. Uh, I'm going to put it on the floor first for people to discuss. You know, uh, Brittany. I don't know if you worked on this piece or edited it all. I'm curious what you think. But Abby, uh, what was your kind of your your first impression? Kind of reading over this and sort of this synopsis of the scene that we all have listened to and watched.
2: Uh, First impression.
1: (laughs) Maybe your second one.
2: (laughs) Okay, I was going to say. I'm kidding. You can can
1: give your first impression.
2: I um, immediately kind of was frustrated um, because I just – something about the – there's a sentence in there about talking about people um, saying that Disney – the Disney era of of Star Wars has been infiltrated by leftist ideology. And the author was saying that they first rolled their eyes and then say – but after Solo, A Star Wars Story gave us a shrill SJW droid <laughs> hooking up with a pansexual Lando Calrissian, I had to admit that some critics might have a point. And yeah, that, it
1: turn, turns that's you off pretty I, hard, I, like. I, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> I, 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 I like the content of this piece. Like, he, 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 he's talking about good stuff. It's after these the lead where I'm just kind of like, all right, like, are you trying to make everybody not want to read this? Um, to have you know, leftist and shrill SJW droid in there, right on the lead. Brittany, <laughs> you're an editor at Fee. What is this about? Are you playing to your audience?
3: Um, so it originally, for the record, it was a reprint. <laughs> um, but I, but I don't mind the lingo. Um, from Intellectual Takeout. Who? <laughs> we kind of reprint and they reprint us back and forth. Um, but yeah, I actually really liked it. Um, obviously, obviously I'm sure that shocks you, Steven, to hear that. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. I thought the deleted scene itself was really interesting. Um, the fashion choices were also interesting. I don't know why they chose to give the guy like a cape over like a, a jacket. It doesn't oh, make there a whole are lot reasons, of sense.
1: There are reasons.
3: <laughs> Is there Uh-oh. symbolism we'll, in there We'll get somewhere?
1: into it. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: But I did kind of like the rhetoric of, you know, you're going to, you're, Uncle's just going to be a cog in their machine, kind of lingo. I thought that was pretty powerful. Um, yeah, that was yeah, interesting. Yeah,
1: I mean, so the line from Biggs is he says to Luke, um, who's sort of like relenting, uh, you know, and joining the rebellion, you know, he wants to he wants to help out his uncle um, for another season because they need the work. And, and he just reminds him, he's like, all right, so what good is all your uncle's work if the empire takes it over? You know, they've already started to nationalize commerce in the central systems. It won't be long before your uncle's just a tenant serving for the greater glory of the empire this is this is really powerful stuff um you know we're gonna we're gonna have a little discussion about sort of the isms um of this line and of this uh, bit of star wars but this is what this seems to me to be exactly the kind of thing that the empire would be engaged in right like taking over of industry forced labor like basically turning people into serfs on their own land um that sort of fits the character of the empire. Um, and we also know a little bit from star Wars canon and some old canon as well. I guess that would be legends, um, about the concept of imperialization, which is, you know, I guess just star Wars being lazy on taking a star Wars version of the nationalization of industry. Um, Abby, what do you sort of think of this? Like, what does that sort of signal to you when you hear that line um, about, uh, you know, someone becoming a tenant on their own land for the greater glory of their government?
2: I mean, this is something that we've been seeing in Star Wars for quite a long time. It, the ones that kind of come to mind pretty quickly is um, the Wookiees on Kashyyyk, uh, tweelix on Ryloth. Um, basically, any planet that was used to build the Death Star. This happens a lot, and so kind of hearing um, this coming from Big, so you know, if it was put in the uh, movie originally, then maybe it would have been kind of like, oh wow. But at this point, it's kind of like, yeah, this is okay. old news. <laughs> um, this happens in Star Wars all the time. Um,
1: I would say it's probably different in in one way. You know, so you bring up the the Wookies and, and Ryloth. I mean, those are kind of straight manual labor, like slavery, um, arrangements, you know, where they, okay. they, they occupy these worlds and they basically corral, um, these races because they're a xenophobic, um, you know, regime, you know, so they, they, uh, they sort of corral, uh, uh, Twilaks and Wookiees into manual labor. But then what you would have in this situation would just sort of be the nationalization of a land and an industry and the profits of your moisture farm um, are going to the empire and maybe you're able to actually take care of yourself. I think that that's probably different and it's definitely um, aimed at benefiting the empire so that they can um, you know, control the the means of production and goods, right? I mean, Brittany, is that kind of the accurate read of it in your mind?
3: Uh, yeah. So I think, I think you kind of hit it on the head where just, you know, long story short, that this is the first time it actually brought up the economy specifically. It wasn't just, you know, the nature of good and evil or even just totalitarian, you know, regimes, which is a constant theme. But this was very specific about, Kind of controlling the means of production, so to speak, um, and that—that that I think is what I found most fascinating about that is it did seem almost like a direct plug to socialism. But but I do agree that these are these are themes that we've seen, you know, throughout every single Star Wars movie and, and book. That there's always that you know us versus them mentality. But yeah, I think focusing on the economy with that line was yeah. was pretty cool. They're pretty big. I I mean,
1: the concept of of national socialism is pretty front and center. Um, but that in and of itself is a lightning rod for conversation. So, you know, I I mentioned kind of to Abby or it asked Abby, like, what does that line like signal to you? You know, what kind of like um, you know, sense does it give you of like the, the thing that is being said there, the thing that is being signaled in that dialogue. And you know, the fee piece runs away with it pretty quickly. Um, I'm trying to find exactly the line that I wanted to take, but I, let's just go with the headline, how one to lead the Star Wars, seeing the Star Wars turns uh, this franchise into a struggle against socialism. Um, Abby, do you view it that way?
2: No. <laughs> Tell um, us more. <laughs> not, not, not really. Um, here's the thing. I mean, it kind of goes on to, to talk about Um, Nazism and socialism. And that's kind of an oft uh, linked thing with a lot of people who uh, let's say disagree as a nice word, (laughs) disagree with any sort of socialist ideas or tendencies or anything like that. Um, But, but where I, I personally find the connection between that continued symbology of like the empire and Nazism is the idea of the national socialism that the Nazis kind of uh, used as, as a, a, a slogan, as part of their title. Um, but the reason I don't think it's like this is, this is socialism in Star Wars is because like uh, national socialism in Nazi-occupied Germany, uh, what they mean by that is Aryan socialism. So all these kinds of basic socialist ideas that Hitler and the Nazi party were taking, like education and infrastructure and uh, rights of the workers and so on and so forth, they only applied to a very specific kind of person, somebody of the Aryan race. So if you were Jewish, if you were not white, if you were queer, if you were a person living with a disability, none of those kinds of benefits that you would get under this uh, these socialist policies, quote unquote socialist policies that they were trying to implement, you got none of that. Um, and that's kind of where I see that in Star Wars as well, is uh, these kinds of things were only benefiting who the emperor kind of deemed as the true race, species, whatever it is in Star Wars that the yeah. Emperor believes is what is right and good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that speaks to how That's the, kind of- the the term socialism um, is sort of, uh, I don't know, I think it's sort of dependent on where you're coming from, on what it's going to mean. Um, you know, it just sort of means different things to different people, you know, when... yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think you should chime in. I just, you know, it's kind of, it reminds me of like when you, you see online, like there's been flooding in Houston and then there are uh, people bringing, you know, boats and supplies to people who are trying to get out of their flooded homes. And then some, you know, (laughs) jackhole on Twitter will be like, see, this is socialism in action. This is socialism working. Like, no, that's not, that is not socialism. That is, (laughs) those are people uh, helping one another. Socialism is a form of government, which by nature means a form of of coercion. And if you're talking about like the empire, um, it, it depends on who that government is going to serve. And it, I think every government and any socialist government is still tied to sort of a democratic pull. Like what did that group of people want to do? Like in South Africa, you have a democratically elected president now seizing white farmlands, like as we speak, um, as sort of a, a, sort of form of social justice, um, sort of going back to apartheid. Um, and that is tied to, you know, the nationalization of industry, um, as well as a democratically elected body doing something that their people want. But Brittany, you wanted, you wanted to kind of jump in there as well. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Um, just, just to that, I think it is really important that we, yes, we associate socialism with, you know, government, but at the core, socialism is an economic concept. It is when the state or a central authority figure owns the means of production. So the reason that the Nazis were absolutely socialist in their mentality is that the government owned the means of production and they determined who that would go to and allocated resources. So that is kind of the staple of socialism. Um, so whether or not, you know, that it involves race or or even different classes, at, at the core of it, it is, you know, it's not even the redistribution of wealth. I think we forget that sometimes. That's not a core component of, of socialism. Um, at its core, it is just the means of production. So that's why I find the line in that deleted scene so interesting is he does kind of hit on that point exactly. You know, he says, They're going to take your uncle's farm because everybody is is serving the greater good. And that's that, you know, is a scary part
1: and we kind of have like an obsession with with Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union but it really seems to me that George Lucas might have been thinking at this time more about Mao's China. Um, and the cultural Revolution going on in China at that time um, that was sort of front and center at that time and, and watching that economy rise as things were being nationalized under Mao um, and I, I kind of just wonder if we all are just sort of shadow boxing for things that we naturally want to talk about when George Lucas probably wasn't even on our same page at all
3: 100 um, percent so like part of my job of, of writing is trying to find you know free market themes in in everything and pop culture in, in everything music. You know, I wrote about Jay-Z's album being to be the, the beacon of capitalism last summer. Of course you did. Um, Of course I did. I love Jay-Z and I love capitalism. Um, So how did we get here again? I just forgot what point I I was trying to. I don't,
1: I don't remember Brittany. What what are you doing right now?
3: (laughs) Oh, I know that we, that we look for our own biases. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you do have to realize like if the writer does not have that intent and I say this as a writer. Then, yeah, maybe they didn't. But what's interesting is maybe without even realizing it, he was kind of defining socialism. And like we kind of just hit on, a lot of people, even very. Very intelligent people sometimes don't get that definition correct because they always associate it with the redistribution of wealth or maybe even authoritarianism. But at, at its core, it is just that that owning the means of production.
1: Can we talk for a second about Biggs? Because I, I was really interested when, when in the piece, you know, it kind of says like you know Biggs is sticking up for the free market, and then I just kind of laughed because I put my I put myself in sort of the the shoes of some of my more socialist friends, and I could just imagine them looking at Biggs, uh, the white guy with the the porn star mustache and a cape and combed and over combed over <laughs> hair, and of course, this guy is the champion of the free market on Tatooine. I mean, like my God, he's so bougie, and he's he's gonna stick up for the free market because, as we know, uh, Biggs is a rich kid on Tatooine. He comes from a very privileged family. As far as Tatooine goes, they're quite wealthy in moisture farms, um, and they are one of the richest families on the planet. And I've kind of Uh, berated at times the rebellion for being a means um, for previously rich uh, families and politicians to try to reclaim their power that they lost under the empire, Um, which in some ways you could say was trying to redistribute uh, the means of power and wealth. Um, But I sort of look at Biggs and I go like, yeah, uh, rich kid's uh, going (laughs) to lose his money under the empire. Of course he wants to join the rebellion.
3: Good on him i'm like i don't know
1: i'm trying to play a character i mean it's I just, me he's, he's just sort I of the know. perfect champion of this and i just <laughs> i really wish that we had gotten more more of Biggs and his his rich kid cape uh but you know the topic of imperialization uh is pretty interesting i i am glad that this scene kind of kind of got on my radar this week because when you think about the prequels, um, you know this is sort of a a main theme of the the Revenge of the Sith. Um, you have the separatists uh, who are basically all a, a cabal of corporations uh, who are then going to be have their leadership executed, and then the the Emperor and the Empire nationalizes those industries. Um, They actually made them part of the empire so that what they were producing was going for the empire, what they were selling was benefiting their people. And you learn a little bit just from a deep dive into Wikipedia or Wikipedia, um, that you could either be nationalized if you were antagonistic to the empire, they didn't like you, and they were going to take over your industry uh, and basically turn you into rent seekers of sorts. Or you could engage in just like heavy, heavy cronyism and corruption and be independent, but there was no way your hands were clean if you did not go along with the government um, in their takeover. Again, that kind of sounds true to the way that things would work in a totalitarian government. Uh, We have plenty of models in the 20th century to look at for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of just what the Empire's been about since day one, is just more and more and more and more power so that Palpatine can have whatever he wants. And if that means destroying planets, both literally uh, in the case of Alderaan, or um, destroying the way of life on a planet, um, on planets like uh, Ryloth or Kashyyyk... They're going to do it because at the end of the day, all the empire really cares about is that power.
1: All right. I think we're going to move on to episode three in the early formation of the rebellion. Brittany, thank you so much for joining us for this little segment. Oh no, we lost Brittany's audio, but she says goodbye. And we'll roll some audio real quick from episode three.
0: Now that he has control of the Jedi council, The Chancellor has appointed governors to oversee all star systems in the Republic. When did this happen? Oh, that decree was posted this morning.
1: Do you think he'll dismantle the Senate? Why bother? As a practical matter, the Senate no longer exists.
0: The Constitution is in shreds. Amendment after amendment. We cannot let a thousand years of democracy disappear without a fight.
2: What are you suggesting?
0: Suggesting? I I apologize. I don't mean to sound like a separatist.
1: We are not separatists trying to leave the Republic. We are loyalists trying to preserve democracy in the Republic. I can't believe it has come to this. Chancellor Palpatine is one of my oldest advisors. He served as my ambassador when I was queen.
0: Senator, I fear you underestimate the amount of corruption that has taken hold in the Senate.
1: The Chancellor has played the Senate as well. They know where the power lies and they will do whatever it takes to share in it.
0: And we cannot continue debating about this any longer. We have decided to do what we can to stop it. Senator Monmouthma and I are putting together an organization... Say no
1: more, Senator, I understand. At this point, some things are better left unsaid.
0: Agreed. And so we will not discuss this with anyone... ...without everyone in this group agreeing.
1: That means those closest to you, even family... No one can be told. All right, Abby, reactions. What do you make of this scene? Is it worth saving? I feel like this is the kind of thing that should have been in episode three.
2: Oh, 100%. Um, Both of the kind of uh, formation of the rebellion scenes, I think, I'm so disappointed they ended up on the cutting room floor because I think they are so powerful and they're so important um, to the formation of the rebellion kind of getting into... More of the politics of what was going on at the time of episode three. And then also I just have to be a little bitter about the fact that, you know, two fantastic Padme scenes were taken away, but (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. But I, I really do wish that they had been put into the movie. I think that they provide a lot
1: the Padme grievances come rolling forth.
2: Oh, um, I have many. <laughs> yeah,
1: I've, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I like when Bale um, apologizes for sounding like a separatist. Mm. This is kind of something that we've seen in Star Wars um, before. Actually, it's more of an accusation where Anakin, you know, is like, you're sounding like a separatist to Padme. Um, mm-hmm. it, Bale apologizes for sounding like a separatist because he says he does not want to see a thousand years of democracy vanish without a fight, and then one of his colleagues asks him, "What are you suggesting?" Kind of like with a hand over mouth, like, "Oh, I'm so offended," and then he sort of like rushes to shame, you know, like this feeling like, "Oh, you know, because I I offered a principled dissent that this is not acceptable and that we cannot go in this direction," that like. I sort of like said something that was over the line in terms of my tone. And I I just found that to be striking because I don't know, I'm I'm not a revolutionary person, but I I, <laughs> I can respect uh, that in this situation, it's quite clear cut what is happening. Um, and they are about to lose everything. If they do not stand up, they will lose everything. And he seems to be the only one in the room who really gets that. And the other people are just sort of more concerned with pleasantries and sounding like, you know, senators in the Democratic Republic. Um, and they just don't, they don't get it. They don't realize that it's already over.
2: Right. Oh, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, I think part this is probably just me projecting. Um, but I think part of bail shame in that is not only just like, Oh my gosh, did I just tow the line? It, he inadvertently aided in getting to them at this point, every single Senator in that room did.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and so I have to believe, and I think maybe Suara and I touched on that in our episode on bail Organa. Um, but I have to believe that there's some amount of shame of like, we did this partly to ourselves. Um, But yeah, I think I'm a little different than you in that I've got a little bit of a revolutionary heart. And so I think that's what makes these scenes so perfect to me is is them being like, is Bale really being like, all right, we're doing this. uh, And I'm not here for your pleasantries. I'm not here for this, that, or the other thing. And he's one of the first uh, senators in the rebellion or, yeah, one of the first people on the Alliance High Council to basically say, it's going to come to violence. It's going to come to war and we need to be prepared. And I've always really respected that about bail of just being like, we got to do what we got to do. And if it sucks, it sucks.
1: (laughs) But civility, Abby, but civility, Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) the the civil discourse.
3: uh,
1: Oh, I know. I know. Um, Okay. So yeah, this is a keeper. Um, we demand a redo Lucas film. This needs to be a part of the film. Um, Abby. Remake
2: he, Revenge of the Sith.
1: Yeah. Rem- <laughs> uh, when they remake, uh, when they remake The Last Jedi, they'll have to remake, oh. um, the prequels as well. You know, just remake them all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't ever do that. I, oh, will, no, please don't. <laughs> I will be, I'll be done with you forever. Um, mm-hmm. round robin. So, uh, can you give us some other scenes that you thought were particularly political and particularly worth saving, uh, that made it onto the cutting room floor?
2: uh one the first one that comes to mind is another padme scene because duh um but it is one in that was cut from attack of the clones where she addresses the senate and this is right after the assassination attempt that we see at the beginning of the movie and uh she talks about that and she goes on to say that Um, She has been one of the leading vocal oppositions to creating an army, to starting a war with the separatists and points out that this uh, assassination attempt is proof that somebody will go to any length to silence her. So that way an army can be created, a war can be started. So that's one of the first ones that really comes to mind for me. And one that again, I wish was in the film because I think it's, really good. It sets up the uh, rest of the movie really nicely. And again, more Padme. <laughs>
1: more Padme. I think, so this is one that doesn't actually exist. This is a, um, <laughs> it is a, a fictional uh, deleted scene. It's one that is, there's only a picture of it out there. And I just want to know more because its its context is political in a way. Uh, Tarkin v. Krennic in Rogue One. You know, oh, there was, there's so much on the cutting room floor of that movie um, when things were redone. And there is a picture that still remains of Krennic with his gun pulled aboard the Death Star. And I want to know more. I really want to know what was uh-huh. going on there. And the the jousting, and we've done an episode completely on the political um, machinations of Tarkin um, as it re- pertains to taking uh, the job away from Krennic. Um And I want to know more about that scene that was filmed and then done away with. Was Vader in the room? Uh, who was he pulling his gun on? I imagine it was Tarkin. Was it like him blowing up more than he did in Rogue One and actually pulling a weapon? And does Darth Vader get in the middle of them and disarm Krennic in this situation? Um, it's not necessarily political but it's definitely bureaucratic, uh, which by nature is politics. So, um, that's the one that I've always wanted, but we only have a screen cap from it. Um,
2: there's, there's a few more in attack of the clones that get like vaguely political, uh, one where it's an extended return to Naboo and, uh, they mentioned something about how the people of Naboo wanted to change the constitution so that Padme can serve longer. Um, and she was very much so against that. And she was like, these, these kinds of democratic systems are put in place for a reason. And, um, I don't know if this is canon anymore, but at least in legends, in terms of Naboo, I think it was the king before Padme, or maybe like two kings before Padme, was like in power for way too long and abused his power. And so that's why they came in with like the two term or something like that system. And she's like, I'm not letting my home world to go back to that. So I thought that was really
1: cool. Yeah. Pretty safe bet. If they have a, safe, a system with safeguards, there was something bad before it.
0: <laughs> right. Oh yeah, for
1: sure. <laughs> yeah. That tends to be the case. Um, no, these are great. Uh, I, we understand Lucasfilm, George Lucas, all of you, I know you can't put every scene in every movie, <laughs> um, but there are politicos out there who expect more. So we would like that. Uh, you have our wish list for episode nine because, frankly, episode episode <laughs> seven and episode eight have been so light on politics, it's been depressing. Uh-huh. Me All too. All right. Well, this episode of Beltway Banthas is brought to you by our friends on patreon yes that is you and listeners of the show you make this possible for suara and i and abby and britney and we thank you so much perks of being a patron our bonus content more conversations more star wars more politics advanced news for the show video chat hangouts and your own fodder on the show and more. Uh, find out more and give as little as $1 to become a patron yourself. It really it really helps keep this thing going um, and make this possible because my gosh, the time and the work is enough. Um, the bills uh, for the upkeep of the show are also a thing as well. So thank you. Um, we want to thank our top patrons now. They are Connie Shee, Cheston Lee, Isaiah Leslie, Andy Senior, Nick Deco Landria, Sarah Smith, BJ Smith, Jessica Shitara, Jared Cantor, Tish Wells, Sarah Strain, and Sean Mahan. We thank you so much um, for giving to Beltway Banthas. It means the world. Uh, I think that brings us now to our legendary Bantha fodder segment where Abby and myself will both share something uh, uninterrupted, unfiltered, that has been on our mind related to Star Wars politics or something else. Uh, I think I'll get us started. So identity is a funny thing. Uh, We've been talking a little bit about identity, and this is a much uh, more privileged form of identity to talk about. But I'm going to talk about it because it's very real to me. Um, So Identity is a funny thing. And and particularly with politics, you know, it's, it's superficial, it's self-imposed in a way and really stubborn, like really stubborn. We've seen just how stubborn political identity is. Um, I've been a registered Republican since I was 18. And I, I was an active Republican volunteer since I was 15. I knew like so clearly then why I was where I was. Today, I'm a libertarian, kind of a Rand Paul type who made the judgment, the calculation that the ideas I'd adopted over college and afterwards had the best chance of a fair hearing in the GOP rather than the Democratic Party. That theory is mostly accurate, though tariffs um, really show that it's probably not going to last much longer. Um, Then the Trump thing happened. And one outrage after another and another, I would rebuke him. The party would rebuke him, but then the party would still embrace him. And systematically, I would relent on changing my registration. There are moments where I would just be like, I'm not a Republican anymore. This is, this is it. I'm not going to be in the party of Trump. This is, this is not who I am. This is embarrassing. And then the day would pass and I wouldn't do it. There's still a GOP elephant on my record shelf. Um, It makes me smile when I see it. Like, I know some of you are laughing at me right now. It's fine. It makes me smile when I see it. Like, literally, like, just a freaking... It's like, for my grandma, it's like the cross on her wall. Like, it just sort of brings me warmth. Um, I don't really know where that comes from. I theorize it's sort of the warmth of a community that I had when I was 15 and a gothy theater kid who favored the war in Iraq. And I actually found uh, people in the Republican Party who were nice to me and actually were accepting of my ideas and my opinions. And that is, it's like this blanket, right? And that's what political identity really is at the end of the day, when it's not even about the ideas or the the personal opinions on the platform of the party it's just a part of who you are and yet i'm so different now the national party is a disgrace and i still haven't done it i can't make myself do it and change the affiliation and it's the horrible pain i feel sometimes of a two party system like the libertarian party is a literal joke so i'm not even i'm not even considering it and i don't like the feeling of being on the sidelines as a quote independent because that feels phony. Nobody's really an independent. Um, it just it just all doesn't feel right. I, I sort of wonder, like looking back on folks who came before us, what they did and what their big moments when they changed parties were, or when they left their party. Maybe it was with Nixon, Watergate. Uh, maybe folks who were ahead of the curve on the war on terror. I want to find that courage myself and change my registration, but there's this part of me who just doesn't know who he is if that GOP elephant is not on the record shelf when I come home. I doubt it could be worse than watching the party sycophantically follow a mob boss off the cliff with Stormy Daniels and Putin, but here I am, and here I remain. Um, Pray for me, fam. I'm going to figure it out eventually. (laughs) uh, Abby, what is on your mind today?
2: Uh, what's on my mind today ties into the conversation that we were having about, uh, Kelly Marie Tran earlier. Uh, I tend to consider myself a pretty loud person and pretty opinionated person. I've always been that way ever since I was a kid, I got called bossy a lot. Uh, and I am very much so still like that on Twitter, and you will know this if you follow me. I tend to get pretty no ifs, ands, or buts about a lot of things, um, and the most recent example is with the conversation that has been surrounding Loan, Kelly-Marie Tran. I posted a tweet that basically came down to saying, there's no need to talk about your opinions of Rose Tico." or your opinions of a movie in general, when we're talking about the harassment of a real person, Kelly Marie Tran, but in not so nice of words and in all caps lock. I dropped a couple of swear words in the following two tweets and in a lot of my replies to people coming into my mentions and doing the thing I said not to do or furthering the harassment of Kelly Marie Tran or harassing other people that were replying or harassing me, that happened a lot. Uh, I was angry and I think rightfully so, but after a while I was just, I was exhausted (laughs) and I started tweeting a picture of Kelly Marie Tran giving the middle finger to those people because it made me laugh. And I was met with so many replies of why won't you debate me? Why won't you engage with me? And I just kept tweeting that picture (laughs) because here's the thing. In these instances of harassment, we get a lot of people asking why we don't take people being awful in our mentions as a learning experience, as a way to teach somebody to be a better person or something like that. But I'm telling you that in my experience, more often than not, the people who are coming into your mentions, into your DMs to continue harassing somebody or yourself, they don't want to learn. They don't care about trying to change. They don't care about trying to develop empathy. So I personally refuse to devote my mental and emotional energy trying to get them to. I won't debate somebody whose side of the debate basically boils down to women of color are not deserving of basic human decency and respect. I won't do it. So I guess guess at the end of this... What I'm trying to say is it's okay not to engage. It's okay to not devote your time and energy to hateful people because if they truly wanted to learn, if they really wanted to make a change in their life where they try to develop empathy, because to empathy is 100% a learned skill, they take the time to do it. They wouldn't be sending you threats and your mentions or DMs. And that is my fodder for the week.
1: Abby, I appreciate it. I think, um, I think there's a lot of wisdom there um, in how we spend our, our time and our mental bandwidth. Like there really mm-hmm. is, there is only so much. Um, Absolutely. You, you cannot be everything to everybody and particularly strangers. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 appreciate that point of view. I, I personally found the, the middle finger gift pretty funny. <laughs> because, <laughs>
0: Thank you. you know,
1: it, you just, there's, there's just some times when that really is the best way to respond. Uh, I believe that. Uh, deeply, So that brings us to the end of this episode of Beltway Banthas. This has been episode 59. You can find us on Twitter at Beltway Banthas. Uh, and we would love if you would subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes. You can also find us on Spotify. Give us a recommendation to a friend. We want to keep growing this community of people who are excited about the the cross-section of Star Wars and politics and not really trying to make it awful. Like, you know, everybody on Beltway Bantha's team like comes to it from different points of view but still love Star Wars and and enjoy politics and just want to talk about it. Um, And we believe that there is a much larger community that is interested in that than who listens to this show. So please help us by making those recommendations to people. You can also find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent 89. That's Stephen with a PH underscore Kent 89. Abby, where can they find you?
2: You can find me yelling on Twitter and tweeting more pictures of Kelly Marie Tran giving the middle finger at Abby Gleason, A-B-B-Y-G-L-E-A-S-O-N.
1: Totes worth your time, people. (laughs) Uh, We will be back the week after next with more from Beltway Banthas. And until then, may the force be with you.
2: Always.